Sorry. <clears throat> After waiting 40 days for Moshe Rabbeinu's return, the Jewish people decided that they could wait no longer and committed a transgression, the Chet HaEgel, whose impact would reverberate throughout Jewish history. Uviyom pakti ufakati alehem chatasam. What exactly was the Chet HaEgel, as the Torah describes it? Vayashkimu mimacharas, vayalu olos, vayagishu shalamim. Vayeshev ha'am lecho v'shaso, vayakumu litzachek. The first part of the Pasuk is what I would expect. The hashkama, the anticipatory excitement, unlike the oversleeping before Matan Torah, and the sacrifices along with a meal. But the last two words are striking. Vayakumu litzachek. They arose to make amusement. We might say that the Erev Rav provided the entertainment and Am Yisrael was the audience. As Moshe Rabbeinu descends the mountain upon being informed by God of the Chet HaEgel, he meets Yoshua who says, He hears the sound of war. But his Rebbe responds perhaps in a gentle rebuke. Ein kol anos ein kol anos Kol annos anochi shomea. As the Targum translates, kol annos, kola demechayichen, the sound of merriment or amusement. Following Moshe's achieving atonement for the Jewish people, he, out of frustration, takes what we might call a leave of absence. And if you wanted to learn about what God wanted, it would require you to make the journey. Most of the people would just sit and watch the spectacle of the cloud of glory. But those who wanted to learn had to be They had to expend significant effort. The next stage is Moshe's retreating to the cave. He himself wishes to fully connect with the Ribbonah Shalom. And to do so, God places him in the cleft of the rock. What is the meaning of this sequence of events? In this week's parasha, we also read about the second luchos, that Moshe was to go up alone and no person would be seen in the entire mount. And thus, unlike the spectacle of the first luchos, no one would see the giving of these. The Medrash Tanchuma comments, the first luchos were given publicly, thunder, lightning, chauffeur blowing, the longest tia gedola ever, a moment for Hollywood. What a show! Entertainment par excellence. And it did not end well. It certainly did not end with anyone inspired to truly connect with the Rabbanu Shalom. It ended with an Egel. It ended with Vayakumu Litzachek, with Kol Anos. The entertainment continued. For take two, the Rabbanu Shalom chose a different tactic. 
Moshe Rabbeinu was placed in the Nikras Atzur. And after that, it was Pesol Lechosh Neiluchos Avonim. Only then was he able to connect with the Ribbon Shalolam by Yavor Hashem Al Panov. Rabosai, the lesson of the Egel Hazav is that entertainment and spirituality are two different enterprises. Neither the twain shall meet. The Gemara in Banem Adlikin tells us, Ein Shechina Shora lo mitoch atzvos, velo mitoch atzlos, velo mitoch schok, velo mitoch kalos rosh, velo mitoch sicha, velo mitoch dvarim betelem, ele mitoch dvar simcha shel mitzvah. Simcha shel mitzvah. The Gemara says, is that true? Ini? Any Talmud sitting in front of his Rebbe, whose lips are not dripping with bitterness, they should be burned. So the Gemara answers the stira, Lokasha habarabahabitalmud. The Rebbe should have simcha shel mitzvah. The Talmud should be bitter. No, both refer to the Rebbe. Velokasha, no stira. Hamid kami deliftach, holabasar deliftach. Before the Rebbe starts the shir and afterwards. Ki hod raba mikami de pasach lula rabbanon, omra milsa de bidichusa, batki rabbanon. He would tell a joke and they would laugh. Then he, too, would sit in awe, in fear, in seriousness, and give the shir. I'm not sure which Lashon we Paskin like, but they both concur that studying Torah is serious business, not entertainment. And Hashra Sashchina doesn't exist in a context of entertainment. In his powerful cultural critique, first published in 1985, entitled Amusing Ourselves to Death, the late Neil Postman describes how since the invention of the alphabet and writing, cultures whose conversation has been conducted using those technologies have always been of a certain character, something which greatly accelerated with the invention of the printing press. A culture whose dialogue is conducted primarily through the written word is one which places emphasis on exposition, reasoned arguments, and rational thought. In the world of the base Medrash, we recognize this culture of communication. It is the language of lamdos, halacha, and machshava, or at least what they're, way they're supposed to be conducted. Postman writes that with the beginning of the te- for, beginning with the telegraph and photography, but reaching the ap- its apotheosis with television, American culture shifted to a visual one, one which speaks to appearances and entertains, where how you look and feel is much more important than what you are, where politicians' appearance is more important to their electoral chances than any policies that they advocate for where people make decisions based upon what celebrities say or do, despite the fact that there is no rational reason to do so. And he was writing in 1985 when, relatively speaking, computers were in their infancy, long before the Internet was a thing, and even longer before social media and smartphones. Reading some of what he wrote, you would think that he was a prophet. A written culture appeals to people's brains, a visual one to their feelings. A written one asserts that logical, ordered argument matters, a visual one appears to one's emotional and visceral instincts. A written one actively engages the mind, a visual one passively entertains. In a written one, it matters if it is rationally argued. In a visual one, it matters how it makes you feel. Chazal warned us about this danger. 
al tistakel bakankan el abamashayeshva. The title of the cover article of the March edition of The Atlantic perhaps expresses contemporary popular culture the best. I quote the title, Reality is blurred, boredom is intolerable, and everything is entertainment. The author points out something amazing. In the events on January 6th, 2021, numerous individuals who entered the Capitol took incriminating pictures of themselves and posted them on social media. Of course, that is the reason why many of those people are now sitting in jail. Not very smart, but they were behaving as if they were actors in a grand show, and if you don't record it and share it, it is as if it didn't happen. And then regarding the January 6th congressional hearing, she comments, the committee understood that for people to care about January 6th, for people to take an interest in the greatest coup attempt in American history, the violence and treason had to be translated into that universal American language. A good show. We might say that in this culture, the truth of any proposition stems not from a reality, but from its entertainment quotient. Classical media and its offspring, social media, in all of their manifestations are God. Those who watch are its worshipers, and the influencers are his prophets. Or as one syncom of the later part of the 20th century, probably parodying itself, noted, we might say that we are all characters in a show about nothing. It appears to me that Plato's ion has gotten the last laugh at Socrates' expense. Rabosai, this is the culture that envelops virtually all of us, and it is not easy to escape. Alas, what is to be done? I have three things to ask you to consider. The first step, as in any act of change, is recognition of the problem, hakara sachet. Understand what is in fact happening. Much of American popular culture, of which so many here partake in one form or another, has become an empty shell where entertainment is the end-all and the be-all of everything. Historically speaking, Torah has always been countercultural, and we have forgotten that at our own spiritual peril. But typically, with some effort, one could identify what the Torah's values were on one side and what the values that it opposed, be they Canaanite, Hellenistic, or Christian, amongst others, were on the other side. The other side advocated, certainly at times sincerely, a different system of values. But with the culture of entertainment, there is essentially nothing on the other side. The intrinsic truth proposition of the other side is simply determined by whether it is entertaining. This is as much a conflict of the medium as it is of any specific values. But of course, this is really not true. As Marshall McLuhan famously commented, the medium is the message. In this case, the message of the medium as to what it asserts that our purpose, what the purpose of our existence is, nihilism, is far more problematic than any specific value conflicts that may emerge from its context. Not that those aren't often deeply problematic, but they're almost beside the point. Recognize what social media, with the assistance of its handmaid in the smartphone, is and what it does to your thinking process. And understand that the medium of the written word demands significant forethought and rationally constructed arguments. It requires a degree of intelligence. Social media, by its nature, requires none of this. Any half-wit can post pictures we would all be better off never having seen or can string together a few words or make an absurd performative comment and publish it. 
The character limit on Twitter, even if there are ways to work around it, tells you everything that you need to know. There are exceptions, but they are rare. Caveat emptor. And then, of course, as part of the culture of entertainment, the most important entertainment in America, the chief of Odizara, and you will forgive me, Rabosai, for going after the most sacred of sacred cows, the Kodesh HaKadashim of both America and even the modern Orthodox community, sports. I don't mean playing sports, although in some contexts this too has gotten out of control, but watching sports. And I say this as someone who grew up watching sports and still has a pintle of a sports fan in him. The most important Yom Ha'id for this religion is, of course, Super Bowl Sunday. I don't think I ever fully intuitively grasped the first mission of Odizara, Shlosha Yamim Lefnei Dehem, that idol worshippers would be so invested, even in the days before, with the whatever halachic ramifications there are, until I considered it in light of the Super Bowl. The legendary Hislavos of Jews cleaning for chametz for Pesach doesn't hold a candle to the build-up to the Super Bowl. Most stories that one reads and watches, you follow the media before, demonstrate the infinite capacity of the culture of entertainment to dramatize and pretend that the most trivial of the trite are Dvarim HaUmdem Berumah Shel Olam. Rabosai, I would ask you to think honestly and carefully what, about what this current secular culture is and whether it befits you to participate in a culture so aptly described or anticipated by the Rambam and Hilchos Tshuva, HaShochachim Es HaEmes Bahavle Hazman V'Shogim Koshnosam Behevel Varik Asher Lo Yoel V'Lo Yatsio. That's number one. Number two, and I know that this is a really big ask, a really big one. Turn off your phones during the day if you're not expecting any urgent communications that demand an immediate response. If you're single and you're just learning in yeshiva, probably there's nothing that can't wait. Turn them off. I promise you, your day will be less entertaining. And even worse, there will be moments where you have nothing to do. You will be bored and be unable to reach for that great boredom alleviator. And that is, in fact, a gift. Let your mind wander, daydream, ponder something about God's wondrous world. Boredom can be tolerable. Some of our best ideas and most creative thinking come precisely during these pauses, or perhaps neurologically because of these pauses. Or, God forbid, you could try to carry on a pleasant and maybe interesting conversation with the person next to you in the elevator, even if you have never met them before. Several weeks ago, I was talking to a high schooler who described in their school how in their school phones have to be handed in at the beginning of the day. They thought that it was good that they had no access to them during class. But what they found annoying was that when they had a free period, they had no access to their phone. What are they going to do if they don't have their phones? They're bored. Last week, I was waiting for the elevator on the fourth floor, and I looked around at the lobby near the elevators. I counted seven people. Four of, them, four of them were sitting on the couches. You know how they're lined up, facing each other, all with their noses in their phones. Of the remaining people, one was standing with his nose in his phone, and two others were engaged in something remarkable, human conversation. As an experiment, I would suggest rearranging uh, the, the, you know, the chairs in a circle with their backs inward so nobody would be facing each other. Will anybody notice? Maybe they'll, they'll turn around and converse with each other. I am sure that what they were looking at on their phones was much more entertaining than any conversation that they would have had. 
I would also venture to guess that any conversation they would have had would have been more edifying and productive than anything they were doing on their phones. Number three, the final ask. Don't confuse entertainment with education. If you are interested in becoming educated, I hope you all are, recognize the difference between the teacher who educates and the one who primarily entertains. Learn to distinguish between a serious person and a clown. I recall from over a decade ago that when Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, Zichron Levracha, would visit the shul that I daven in and give a shir on a Friday night, he would have a nice attendance, maybe 100, 150 people. Pretty good for a winter night at 8.30 when you're competing with Vahashena Mishubachas. But the same sanctuary under similar circumstances has been filled by speak, has been filled by speakers whose substance could fit into half a paragraph of Ravarin's. People whose entire presentation has less nuance in it than Ravarin could pack into two and a half sentences. But boy, are they entertaining. The jokes, I tell you. Ravarin, for those of you who were Zoha to hear him, was not. Edifying, yes. Awe-inspiring, definitely. But as far as entertainment on a scale of 1 to 10, and I don't mean chas shalom, even an ounce of pagam when I say this, Ravarin was probably maybe a 0.5. Recently, I paid a shiva call to someone who did not grow up from and began the process of being kosher v'tshuva within the last few years. Someone well-educated and accomplished professionally. At the shiva call, she was telling a number of her colleagues, some not Jewish, some not from, who were there, about a shir in her shul which she had started attending, which was somewhat above her head. She noted that the shir was from her vantage point a fairly high level and that the teacher used a fair number of Hebrew terms which the rest of the class understood readily, but she was still trying to grasp. Of course, I was listening and thinking, perhaps the teacher could translate a little more. But she wasn't bothered by this. She recognized that there is something really serious going on and she wants to be part of it even if it isn't easy and even if there are things that she doesn't get. I was rather impressed with this rarity, that someone choosing edification over entertainment. Unfortunately, the general trend in education has been the opposite. The campification of schools, a process that I suspect that many of you are too well aware of. I'm not, I say that not to criticize the, school, criticize the schools. They think, perhaps correctly, that this is the best way that they can get the most of their students embedded and out of their students who are embedded and steeped in contemporary popular culture and its modes. More cynically, one might wonder whether they're also in competition for enrollment. But all I can say is, oi, no, meho yolonu. Rabosai, I would encourage you to seek out serious teachers, thoughtful people who speak the language of nuance, be it in lambdas, halacha, machshav, in your college classes, in every secular arena life, in politics. Don't succumb to the temptation of confusing entertainment with edification. Don't confuse talking heads with thinking heads. Don't confuse simplicity with clarity. The absence of thoughtful exposition and nuance, perhaps the rarest entity known to humankind, should signal to you that you are being entertained or worse, propagandized, not educated. The most powerful piece of Musar I've encountered recently is a comment of the riff at the end of his lengthy exposition about Ede Messira Karti. After presenting his, position, presenting his position with great clarity, he closes by mentioning the position of the Gaon, a rather difficult one, where the Gaon asserts that an aid kosher, a single aid kosher on a get, qualifies as Mizri of Mitocha. The riff says, the Afalgab, the high mili, the Gaon, Sasre, the mili, didan. Even though what he writes contradicts what we say. Chazina lemichtevinu. I still thought it appropriate to write his opinion. Mishum de meleches shamayim 
Serious thinkers and educators do not give short shrift to opposing opinions. As the Gemara Erevin points out, even though both the opinions of Beishamah and Beisilah are Dibre'elu Kimchayim, we paskin like Beisilah because A, they presented both their own opinions and those of Beishamah, and B, Makdimin Divrei Beishamah Divreim, they even presented Beishamah's opinions first. Entertainment may have a place even in a serious culture, but make sure that you, when you watch entertainers, especially when they want you to take them seriously, that you recognize them for what they are. Mostly hollow and shallow. And be cognizant of what in reality they are providing you. A good show, but little else. So in short, understand the culture in which you are enveloped. Consider ditching the phone and recognize the difference between entertainment and education, and hopefully seek out the latter. There is a parallel to the events in our parsha, to Moshe Rabbeinu's odyssey. And it is, the first, the first part is found in a rarely read haftorah that belongs to our parsha. In Malachim Aleph, we read of the epic showdown between Elio Anavi and the priests of the Baal. In a made-for-Hollywood drama, the priests jump and hoot and holler and slash themselves, blood and guts, everything, to try to bring fire down on the altar. But then the fireworks truly begin with the amazing and spectacular spectacle of God sending down fire to consume Eliyahu Anavi's karbanos and then some. The people are wowed and they prostrate themselves exclaiming, Hashem hu Elokim, Hashem hu Elokim. And yet, much to Elio's consternation, he discovers that the great drama, as fabulous and as entertaining as it was, has no lasting effect on the people, and that he is still a wanted man. In the next chapter, no longer part of the Haftorah, he expresses his wish to die. After a journey of Arbaim Yom and Arbaim Laila, he finally arrives at Har Chorev and enters the Ma'ara, almost certainly the same cleft in the rock in which Moshe Rabbeinu was placed. When asked Malach HaFo'eliyahu, he accuses the Jewish people of having abandoned God, and on top of that, He is then told by the Malach to step out and wait for God to pass, so he might repeat his, his claims and complaints directly to God. First, he is informed that there will be a ruach gidolah v'chazach mefarek harim u'mishaber slaim, a great wind, a hurricane, smashing mountains, breaking rocks, but lo baruach Hashem. And then after the ruach, there will be a rash, a great earthquake, but lo barash Hashem. And then after the rash, there will be an ish, a burning fire, but lo ba'ish Hashem. And but then, there will be a kol t'mama daka, a quiet, soft voice. When Elio hears the call to Mamadaka, he understands that the Rabboni Shalom has arrived. God is not in the hurricane. He is not in the earthquake. He is not in the roaring fire. If you wish to find the Rabboni Shalom, you need to find him in the call to Mamadaka. Not in the spectacle, not in the extravaganza, not in the entertainment, but in the quiet whispers of stillness. A world of entertainment is one in which the Shekhinah cannot be found 
in which the presence of God cannot be encountered. It is a spiritually sterile world which allows no place for the divine. There is a very interesting tension within the laws of tefillah, which on some level captures our challenge. On the one hand, tefillah b'tzibor is the halachically preferred mode. At the same time, the primary component of tefillah b'tzibor, being amongst everybody else, is the silent amida. And its core fulfillment is beginning your silent amida at the same time as dominion, not chazar sashatz. One of the most powerful experiences I've had davening has been in this space medrash on Yom and Noraim, not as a shliach tzibor, but as a mispala. The silent amida, especially for Rosh Hashanah Mosef, is really, really long and really, really quiet. But what I have found to be the most powerful experience is after finishing my amida and waiting in the absolute stillness and silence for the Chazar Sashatz to begin. Not the Chazanus as powerful as it may be, not in the singing as inspiring as it may be, not even in my own amida privately when I am focused and bound by the words, but in the kol tamama daka listening to the silence in the room. I know that there are those who will respond to my remarks tonight with the rejoinder, the proverbial middle-aged person complaining that the younger generation represents Yeridas Adoras. But in truth, I'm not speaking just to you. I'm speaking to us. Many of the behaviors affect all of us, including myself and Yerabeim. This is not generational, it affects the adults just as well. Although it has probably done far greater damage to younger people who because of smartphones and social media have grown up more enmeshed in this culture of entertainment which blurs reality. I would also caution you to follow the money trail and see how many of the would-be naysayers benefit from this culture. Or as one version of the popular expression goes, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon not understanding it. And so I return to where I began this evening. It would have been bad enough if Klal Yisrael had created and worshipped the Egel because they were afraid and felt abandoned. But it was much worse because, in fact, they were bored. And so they needed some entertainment. And hence, Vayeshev Ha'am Lechovishaso, Vayokumu Litzachik. Rabosai, we can choose a life of entertainment or a life of meaning and transcendence, but we can't have both. I have faith in all of you and us that we are capable of choosing. I hope that you and we will all choose wisely.